So Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 10, this is God's inerrant word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we're going to end the reading there, and our focus is on those last words. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. May God bless his holy word in our lives. Beloved, the best evidence of the Bible's being the Word of God is to be found between its covers. It proves itself. So Charles Hodge, a professor at Old Princeton Seminary, said years ago, the best evidence of the Bible's being the Word of God is to be found between its covers. It proves itself. Theologians would say that God's word is self-authenticating. It shows itself, it proves itself to be the word of God. I hope you always know that and find that to be true. As you read your Bibles, as you hear the word of God proclaimed. Has, has that been your experience? The last number of weeks or even this last week as we've been here in Ephesians chapter 6? As we've heard about being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, as we've heard that call to spiritual arms and the, the spiritual battle, the good fight of faith and the armor that God has provided for us, have you found the word of God to be true in your life? Have you experienced in recent days the spiritual battle? The good fight of faith. So that when you read about it in the Bible, you say, it's real. It's real. Have you been made aware, even sometimes painfully aware, of our own inadequacy and insufficiency and weakness? But have you also experienced the truth of God's promise and provision that he does give strength to his people, that his grace is sufficient, and that when you are weak, then you are strong? You've heard it, you've read it in your Bibles, but you know it to be true in your life. Have you proven true what Paul wrote in verse 10? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That you look back over this past week or month or year and you said, 
I know that. I'm not strong. But I've been made strong from the Lord, from heaven above as we've sung, and in his mighty power. You know, as you think about that, and as I look out over the congregation this morning, isn't your presence here again this morning an amen to God's faithfulness and to his preserving power in the lives of his people? It is. I look out and what do I see? I see living amens to the word of God. What God promises and provides. You know, I've mentioned the great Puritan classic on this passage, Ephesians 6.10 and following by that man named William Gurnall. It's usually just referred to as the Christian in complete armor. But I look back again at the whole title. Puritans love big, long titles for things. This is the whole title of that book. The Christian in Complete Armor. A treatise of the saints' war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that great enemy of God and of his people in his policies, power, empire, wickedness, and chief design he has against the saints. And a magazine opened, that's a word, an armory, a magazine opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught to use his weapons, together with the happy issue of the whole war, the happier blessed end of the whole conflict, that in Jesus we are more than conquerors. It's all here. It's all here in Ephesians 6 for you and for me and for the church together in every age until our great spiritual adversary is cast into the lake of fire and nations shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. What a passage this is. Ephesians 6. And we've come to verse 14. Paul has called us to stand. The Spirit through Paul has called us to stand and put on the whole armor of God. And now in verse 14, we start to get some of the specifics of that armor. But as we again look at, as we look at verse 14, again we see that repeated call. How does the verse begin? Stand firm then. Stand, therefore. It's the fourth time since we've uh, looked at verse 10 and following that we've had this call to stand. Of course, we've already considered some of the different nuances of that. To stand means to, to withstand, to stand your ground, to stand firm, to be resisting, and then to be prevailing in the Christian life. What a blessing it is to stand. What a blessing it is to have a place to stand. Psalm 40, verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's the gospel. That's Jesus 
uh, the rock of our salvation, Christ the foundation for the church and for our lives. We have a place to stand as Christians. And we stand, other verses tell us, Romans 5, 2, we stand in grace. It's all a gift. We stand as we've received the gospel, as we've received Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. The gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. We stand firm in the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 3, 8. We stand by faith, Romans eleven twenty. And we stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ, Galatians 5, 1. And Paul can summarize it in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. And so again, stand firm. Stand firm. What a helpful, simple word from God as you think about your lives every day in the Christian life. Am I standing? How have I come to stand? And you remember the grace of God lifting you out of that miry pit and setting your feet on Christ, on the rock. Am I continuing to stand? Or am I stumbling? How am I stumbling? Why did I stumble? Look to God again so that we can take our stand again. There's so much here as we hear for the fourth time. Stand firm, therefore. But always with a proper humility in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm, take heed lest you fall. It's never a life of presumption, of self-confidence in the Christian life. There's a great warning. We stand by grace. We stand by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in the Lord. And the moment that we forget that and we try to stand in our own strength, we will, we will stumble. We will stumble. We all stumble in many ways, James 3, verse 2. But in Christ, there is gospel forgiveness and grace to get up again. I don't know how you've come this morning whether you've come from a week of just gracious standing or where you've come through a week of, of just sad stumbling. It's probably a mix of both of, it, both of them for, for most of us. But what a blessing that there's gospel forgiveness and grace to get up again. If you came spiritually stumbling through those doors this morning, there's grace in Jesus. Forgiveness. And grace, Proverbs 24, 16, is so encouraging. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They rise again. Jesus picks you up and gets you back on your feet and strengthens those weak knees so that we hear again this morning this call, stand firm, therefore. We're given strength to stand from the Lord, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, and we're given spiritual armor as we take our stand in the spiritual battle of the Christian life. And this morning, from the first part of verse 14, after this repeated call to stand, we see three things. We see an action. We see a specific anatomy 
point of anatomy, and we see the armor, the action, the anatomy, and the armor of Ephesians 6.14. But of course, it's spiritual. We have to remember that. Though the imagery is physical, the meaning, the reality is spiritual. The spiritual action, the spiritual anatomy, the spiritual armor. People look at this passage, of course, they they see a reflection of something Paul would have been very familiar with, and people in that day, the Roman soldier, the ubiquitous Roman soldier, everywhere you looked, you'd, you'd be able to see them in the Roman Empire. Some suggest it was perhaps Paul there in prison, chained to a guard, that he would have taken note of some of these things, or probably, again, the common sight, the more heavily armed Roman soldier, Uh, that these images are taken from. They're not an exact parallel if you would go and look up Roman armor or Roman soldiers. Not everything is is mentioned here that they would have worn or used. There's not an exact parallel. But there's everything under the Spirit that we need. These are the points that the Holy Spirit wants us to know from that picture of a Roman soldier. And we must never forget as well Paul's reliance, and this perhaps is even more significant than the Roman soldiers in the culture around them, the Old Testament imagery of armor that was already there in the mind of the Hebrew Jewish people. Go back again, as we read last week, to Isaiah chapter 11 to speak of Messiah in his armor. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 59. Passages like this no doubt provided at least some of the background for what Paul is writing here in Ephesians 6. But what do we have? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. First, the action. Buckled around is what the NIV says. The King James has that older language, girt about. Girt about. Like you take something and put it around yourself. That's, that's the action. And it's action with a particular point. It's a preparation for work or activity. This word, as one dictionary says, comes from the custom of shortening a garment by tightening the cloth around the waist. You can think of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 after his conflict with the priests of Baal. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, literally girding up his loins, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. It's something that's done as a preparation to do something else. That's the point. The general sense of this word is to to wrap something around yourself to be supported to be braced, to be made strong, and therefore ready for action. It's a word that's used of God himself, actually, as God is spoken of in human language. In Psalm 65, verse 6, the God who uh, established the mountains by his strength, being girded with might. God is wrapped around with divine power and strength in order to create all things. And it's used of God's people. 
I'll quote the King James Version so you get the, the continuity of that language. Sometimes it's not as clear in our English translations. Psalm 18.32, it is God that girdeth me with strength. God does it. Psalm 18, verse 39, for thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Exactly what Paul is writing about here. This word girded about is seen in the Gospels, especially with this sense of readiness for action. Luke 12, verse 35, be dressed ready for service. It says in the NIV, the King James says, let your loins be girded about and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. You're ready. You're prepared. The next verse, verse 37 in Luke 12, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. That's what the servant does. He will gird himself. And we'll have them recline at table and we'll come and wait on them. The word belt actually isn't in the original. We think of these parts of the armor. The word belt actually isn't in the Greek original. It's implied from the verb, be girded about. And you have to do that with something. And so the belt is implied from the verb. The verb means literally to be cinched around, to bind around. One of, the, one of the pictures that just came to me that I think really captures it probably well in many ways, if you've ever seen, maybe in the Olympics or something else, a weightlifting competition. Ever seen weightlifters? And they have as part of their equipment these belts. They're not thin like this belt. They're thick, and they go around, and then sometimes they get someone else to help them, actually, cinch it so tight that everything is tight and ready to lift that weight. You just have to look. Even now, they have special suits that they put around their whole midsection, and someone straps them in. If you look at these guys now that are deadlifting over 500 kilograms, guys like Eddie Hall, and there are these suits, and they're just strapped right around, and they're cinched, and they're ready to lift these immense weights. They're prepared for action. That's this action here, girded around, ready for action. The picture gets clearer when we look at the anatomy that's mentioned, the anatomy. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Here again, and you may say, well, of course it is, but... There's so much here to think about. The anatomy that's mentioned is the waist, the hips, the midsection, in the older language, the loins. It's what we would today call the core, your core. If you're a physiotherapist, if you're doing fitness, that's the big thing now, core training, right? Core strength. That's what Paul is talking about here, the core of your human anatomy. This is all about core strength. That's the image. The Navy SEALs have a saying, strong stomach, strong man. And they don't mean a person who isn't squeamish, strong stomach. They literally mean a strong core. 
If you have a strong core, you're a strong person physically. If your core isn't strong, I don't care how big your biceps are, you're not strong, you're not fit for battle. You're not ready to fight. It's all about your core. It all connects to your core. It all flows out of your core. And this is biblical. This is biblical. About behemoth, Job wrote in Job 40, 16, Behold now, his strength is in his loins. Isn't that interesting? It's exactly saying the same thing. It's this core. It's that's where the strength is. And his power is in the muscles of his belly. The point is that if you are defeated in your core, you are weak all over and you're vulnerable. In the prophecy about Levi in Deuteronomy 33, 11, bless his substance, Lord, accept the work of his hands, Strike the loins of those who rise against him. If you can strike someone in the loins and take out his core, he's done. He's done. William Gurnall said, the loins are the chief seat of bodily strength. The loins are to the body as the keel is to the ship. But this is spiritual battle. So what are the loins spiritually? What are they spiritually? Well, here, Peter helps us understand Paul. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. The NIV says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. The more literal translation is, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. I think what Peter is telling us here is that the spiritual equivalent of the core, the loins, is your mind. It's your thinking. J.I. Packer, who some of you know, a theologian who taught out in Vancouver for many years, At the beginning of a lecture, he once uh, was lecturing in Toronto, and he would enter the lecture hall and lecture room, and he'd say to students, "Students, gird up the loins of your minds." He's saying, "We've come here to think, and you better get ready to do that. Gird up the loins of your minds." Just quoting there from First Peter one thirteen. And so the focus here is on the mind, the thinking. Because the great battleground, the greatest battleground, is how you think. What you think. Why you think. And what you think. That's the battleground. Didn't Paul say in Romans 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here we are seeing this spiritual battle, and it's a battle in your thinking. And so what Paul is saying is the action, girding about, strengthening, bracing, ready for action, where? In your mind, in your thinking. And that makes, thirdly this morning, the spiritual armor connected to it so obvious, doesn't it? 
Now, when you've heard all that, you say, of course it has to be this. Stand firm then with the belt of what? Truth buckled around your waist. What is girding your loins? Truth. What's the core strength spiritually for the Christian? Truth. Truth. Commentators debate truth in what sense? Some say, well, it's Christ himself. And of course, we are clothed with Christ. But Christ can hardly be reduced just to one piece of the armor as opposed to other pieces. Some suggest that the language here refers to truth of heart in your life, truthfulness, sincerity of character, and others to truth of doctrine. Gurnall again says, those I think right that compromise, that comprise or include both. It's likely both, because the language can be argued both ways here. The sense might be truth of heart, sincerity, integrity, not hypocrisy. This turn of phrase is often used this way. It literally says, in truth. There's no definite article. It doesn't say, in the truth. It simply says, in truth. And there are times in the New Testament where this word that Paul uses here, this phrase, in truth, is used of truth of heart, something done truly. Third John, verse 1, Gaius, whom I love, in truth. And it could very well be, whom I truly love. And so there's a point to be made, if this is the way to understand this, that we are truly girded for battle. We're not insincere. We're not hypocritical in this call to stand and be girded about for battle, that we're truly doing it. It's an important question. Have you counted the cost in the Christian life? Are you ready for the battle, for the wrestling that is the good fight of faith? Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you hearing this call to stand firm and be girded about sincerely and truly in your life? You know, in the days of Gideon, we read Judges 7, verse 3, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. 22,000 left. I truly don't want this battle. That's true of people. It's true of some people. When they hear about the Christian life and the cost of the Christian life and devotion and discipleship to Christ, when they hear about the call to fight the world and the flesh and the devil, and they say, not me. I don't want that fight. I don't want that battle. I don't want to fight against those things. I want those things. You're not truly girded for battle. 
So sincerity is important. And many commentators spend a lot of time looking at it that way. But you can be sincere and sincerely wrong. I think in truth here must most especially refer to truth of doctrine. Truth of doctrine. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It's the same phrase there. I don't think John means to say there I have joy that my children are truly walking. But that they are indeed walking in truth. In the truth of God. Because we we should remember this, what Paul's describing here is the armor of God. It's the armor of God. And so that more, I think, than referring to truthfulness or human sincerity or confidence. This is the truth of God itself. Be girded about in your core, your loins, ready for action in truth. We gird up the loins of our minds. We are strengthened and ready for action and even battle spiritually insofar as biblical truth is our core strength. Biblical truth is your core strength. This is the first thing that Paul mentions. It has a sense of priority to it. That's why when you study systematic theology, even before you get on to all the particular areas of theology, what do you study first? You study Revelation. You study the way God has revealed his truth so that then you can look particularly at truths. But it's this whole issue of God's truth that is primary. And it should be a first priority for us as well in our lives. This is the strong core of the spiritual Christian life. In our lives, in our relationships, as we wrestle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Truth. And as you do that as individuals, as families, as a congregation, even in our our life in the nation, the priority for us must be God's truth. Psalm 119.28 says, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. That God promises to strengthen, so it's according to his word, but it is according to his word. He strengthens with the word, by the word. I write to you, dear children, 1 John 2, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men. Because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. What's right in between being strong and overcoming the evil one? The word of God lives in you. It's God's truth. You're girded about by truth. This is the key to the Christian life. The word of God. Christ, the living word, but this is the word that speaks of him. We can know nothing truly or surely about Jesus. There's so much talk about Jesus. And in some parts of the church in Canada today, they speak, it's all about Jesus, all about Jesus, and yet they dismiss 
or they, they demean the word of God. Well, this is just a book. It has errors. It has problems. I focus on Jesus. We don't know anything surely and certainly, truthfully about Jesus unless we've gotten it from this book and we can test it against the word of God. How can the living word of God be in any way contradictory to the written word of God that comes from the spirit of Christ himself? Kenneth Stewart said recently in a sermon I was listening to, all of our issues, and he was very all-inclusive in this day, all of our issues, he said, come back to prayer and the word. He said, as he's ministered some 30 years, I think, in the church, all of the issues of the people of God come back to prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. That's where your strength is. Prayer and the word by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. We need to be having God's truth buckled around the loins of our minds as we live our lives as Christians. And that goes for our engagement with government as well. The government of our day. Last week we read that statement where we stand against C4, Bill C4, where we stand with it in some respects, but where we stand against it in other respects. Our interaction with the government, if we are to engage with the government, we have to be girded about in truth. You know, our parliament buildings have inscribed upon them in stone where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29.18. Sometimes that's historic reconstruction. People try to reconstruct or deconstruct that, and they, they say, yeah, we need a vision, like a business needs a vision, some kind of hope or plan for the future. But that's not what the word vision means in that verse. It means God's revelation. Without God's revelation, the people perish. It's the same word that's used in Isaiah 1.1, the vision concerning Judah that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. It's God's revelation. Are we going to stand up to something like Bill C-4 if it comes to it? Where are we going to take our stand? How are we going to take our stand? Here's the first thing. Being girded in truth. Having the truth of God wrapped around us so that we are strong and ready for action. Christians and the Christian church must have our minds girded up by the Bible. What we think about human beings is a great battlefield today. What society says about humanity is a great battlefield today. It's the doctrine of man. Different ages have had different battles. This is a great battle in our day, the doctrine of man. What is man? Who am I? These are the questions. How are you going to engage that battle? With your mind girded by truth. How are you going to face the assaults of false teaching? The assaults of biological determinism on the one hand and the assault of self-constructed identity on the other hand. 
Those things can only be met with, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. That's how you meet that battle. With your mind girded about by that truth revealed in God's word. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. This is the battle, and this is the first piece of armor. Being girded about with truth. Here is the armor for our battle against the wiles of the devil. We need to remember that that's the battle, spiritual, and we're not unaware of his schemes. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Do you remember what the first battle was in Eden? Do you remember what the first battle was? Did God really say? Did God really say? What was the battleground? Truth. Truth. That was the first battle. And it will be at the heart of your battles, day by day. Satan comes in opposition to the truth. And he will do it in a couple of ways. He will do it either by false teaching, by error, or he'll do it by force, by persecution. He will try to trick you into believing something that's wrong, or he'll try to scare you away from believing what's true. And history has seen both. It's seen the attack of error in false teachers and the attack of terror from persecutors. And Christians have stumbled because of both. This is the battle. This is your battle day by day. But by God's grace, you stand with your minds girded with truth. We're called to do that. But we do stumble in many ways. We need to look to, we need to learn deeply Christ's battle. How Christ battled with this armor. His temptations in the wilderness primarily. How did he respond? He was girded about with truth. It is written. It is written. And when the devil himself tried to quote Scripture for his own purposes, Jesus used the analogy of Scripture, that Scripture interprets Scripture. And he said, it is also written. He had his waist girded in truth. And he did that. He lived the truth, and he died for sinners who don't walk in the truth. Jesus did that for us and for our salvation. As the last Adam, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's forgiveness for us in Christ and how thankful for a perfect righteousness of the captain of our salvation who is girded about with truth. Through faith in him, the truth, we can and we may and we will come to the Father. As I thought about the first battle and our battles and Christ's battle, I couldn't help but think about, in earthly terms, our last battle. When we die and enter eternity. And what a battle that can be for the saints. 
Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Not many of us understand the battle that that can be spiritually and how the devil uses that time and providence in a person's life. What a wrestling there can be on the deathbed. Will you be girded up with truth? That's how you'll stand. Not how you feel. Not how you feel, not what's happening in your body, but the truth. When I go visit people in the hospital and I can hear them, regardless of how their situation is or looks, and I hear them quoting truth from Scripture, and over and above the sympathy I have for their pain, as their pastor, I can be assured it's well with their soul. It's well with their soul. Our last battle. Will you know the truth as it is in Jesus? The truth that speaks of forgiveness and freedom and salvation and deliverance and resurrection. That's how you'll take your stand even in the last battle of this life. Beloved, false teaching kills. False teaching kills. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Beloved, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's the call. Keep your core strong. Watch life and doctrine closely. Renew your commitment to the preaching of God's Word, to the reading of God's Word, to catechizing. Boys and girls, you're learning the catechism. You know what you're doing? You're strengthening your core. You're living out here this call to have around your waist truth. And that's such a blessing. Such a blessing. Are you girded about with truth this morning? Are you concerned to be someone who is girded about with truth? Charles Hodge again said, rationalism, tradition, speculation, dead orthodoxy are a girdle of spider webs. Truth alone, as abiding in the mind in the form of divine knowledge, can give strength and confidence in the conflicts of the Christian life. Truth alone. Beloved, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist.